Thank you, Lindsay. I wanted to raise my hand like on both for several of them. I don't know. That's a problem. <laughs> All right. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to James uh, chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. We're going to continue uh, our study in the book of James. And I guess to kind of set up my sermon this morning, especially a lot of my illustrations, I need to talk about a partnership we have today with our church and something that's going on all around the country. And uh, that's the National Faith in Blue uh, uh, weekend. So it's a, it's a weekend from October 7th through the 10th, and it was started in 2020 uh, to facilitate safer and stronger communities, and it engages law enforcement officers and local residents through a connection of churches and other faith-based organizations. So uh, I'm glad our church can be a part of that and be a host for that. Uh, all around the country, uh, just a few things. There's 670 host communities that are hosting this this year. Um, there's over 1,600 faith-based organizations, so churches and other faith-based organizations, over 1,600, and over 750 uh, local law enforcement uh, partnerships with that. So I think that's a, a thing to be excited about. And you'll see in some of my illustrations today, I kind of lined that up with our text. Um, and make sure you stay after worship uh, to say hi to an officer. And we're going to have a prayer time a little bit later over them and also uh, food out in the park. So I'm setting all that up uh, to, you know, as we go into James chapter 4. Uh, you know, a couple months ago when, when David was going to be gone this weekend, he, he said, you know, just continue on in James chapter 4. And then I heard about the Faith in Blue uh, weekend and... Uh, James chapter 4, I said, well, what are the verses? You know, what verses am I covering? Are we splitting it up? And he goes, oh, yeah, the first five verses. I said, okay. The first five verses there hit a little tough. I mean, it's, uh, I said, okay, so this is, uh, you know, if we're looking at a, like one of those buddy cop movies, bad cop, good cop, I guess I know which one I am on my Sunday. Uh, because after when he gets back in verse 6 and continuing, uh, it's, it's the good news. But today is kind of a warning that James has uh, for us, especially here at the, at the beginning of chapter 4. And it's all kind of coming from things he said previously. Some of the other sermons, some of the things David has already gone through, um, self-indulgence, you know, the, those type of themes are in uh, chapter 1, uncontrolled speech, uh, false teachings, that, that are kind of being propped up like they're truth, but they're really not. And that's all throughout uh, the book of James. Favoritism, that comes forth pretty, pretty strongly. And all of these things are kind of converging here in chapter 4, um, especially at the beginning. So, you know, I guess when we think about it and, and kind of using an illustration um, for today, if you think of the warning from James kind of like, like that moment when, when you're driving down the road and all of a sudden the blue lights come on and you see it in your rearview mirror and your palms start getting sweaty and then they're flashing the light and you know it's, a, it's an officer wanting you to pull over. And it ends up, I'm going to give you the, the ending of that. It's just a warning. You're just getting a warning. This is a warning from James, uh, but it's kind of that to, to get your attention here in the first few verses right here. And it's a reality that the people, and remember the people that he's talking to are the early believers. So these are warnings to them. But they have befriended the world and there's not really a distinction between the way they're acting and the world. Um, so it's a, it's a strong warning 
And David will come back and be good cop next week and, uh, and add a lot of the, the mercy and some of the things that go with it. Uh, but we have to have one side to understand the seriousness of, of what's going on. So I, I remember as a kid watching the show Cops, and uh, I, I didn't watch it all the time, but sometimes it would, you know, um, be on TV, and uh, and I always thought these places are kind of far off places, you know, away from my home city of Knoxville where I grew up. You know, it doesn't happen here. And then t- and then one day I was watching an episode. I said, "Wait, I know that road." And uh, you know, it was Alcoa Highway going right down the the airport there in Knoxville. And I was like, "Oh, there's Wendy's. There's the barbecue." This stuff happens everywhere, and and uh, you know, and the and the the music of cops. And I, what I remember most, I always tried to say that little disclaimer that they say, uh, you know. And I tried to do the voice of the disclaimer in the cop show. It says, "Cops is filmed on location as it happens. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in the court of law." And I said, "Well, what if James was writing this today?" I think his disclaimer is, "James is written on location as it happens." All of you, all of you are a mess, proven guilty of your sin, and need to come back to the Lord your God. I think that's what he would have to say in a nutshell. And it's true. When we look at verse 1, uh, kind of our first point for today, desires of the world disrupt human relationships. Our desires of the world disrupt human relationships. In verse 1, it says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? Now remember, he's writing this to believers, to early Christians. They had a, many of them had a Jewish background, so religious folk. They're warring and fighting. And that language is strong. It's not just uh, they're, they're having some annoyances with each other. They're having uh, just some minor... Uh, this, is, this is major. This is all the way to physical conflict between factions and, and members of the church, members of this congregation. Things are heated. And, uh, and just looking at that, right off the bat, that's not much of a distinction from the people that they are supposed to be in the rest of the world. And we know our world is broken. It's full of broken people that are warring and fighting uh, with each other. And I'm sure officers can attest to situations that they have to be in it's people kind of at their worst moments a lot of times that are in the middle of it. Why? Why is this going on? Verse 1, it says it, the source. That's what Lindsay was talking about. Cravings. Cravings, pleasures of life are ultimately getting in the way. Pleasures of life. And boy, I mean these pleasures of life. This is the fall season. This is like my season right now. Yesterday, uh, Saturday, I had the smoke, smoker going. We had barbecue, you know, the game on. You know, everything I love, and it's just, and it's all good things. You know, the sports and the, the, the seasons and the weather and all that. Um, it can be good things, but then it can, there can be other things that creep along with it. Cravings of the world, money, prestige, maybe a certain pursuit of hobbies or, or something that just overtakes everything else. It could be certain ideologies. It could be politics. It could be styles. You know, I already mentioned sports. And in a crazy world, yes, even the people of God in a congregation, the cravings of the world, the world pursuits, the friendship of the world can take control of of our hearts. And it can quickly go out of control like wildfire. 
Uh, This story just came in in the world news just uh, a little while ago, and I know this is kind of an extreme example, but it just shows the cravings of the world and a disaster that happened. This was over in Indonesia. I don't know if you all saw this. Um, This was at a uh, soccer match. So football to the rest of the world, soccer to us. Uh, Football match, huge stadium, 40,000 people, heated rival teams, okay? And at the end of the game, I don't even know what happened in the game, but the game was over. The ending was not what the home field crowd wanted to see. And there was a, a fight, multiple fights, just a crowd that swarmed on the field. The police had to show up, use tear gas to try to disperse, try to break that up. And then there was just a rampage, stampede of people. 125 lives were lost at a game. Cravings of the world. Just happened last week. 125 people, uh, many more injured from a game. Isn't that absurd? But think of the cravings of our heart and when we've been turned away from God and how quickly things can, can just go out of control. You know, we're fortunate to have the, have the police here and, and the way they serve and protect, and uh, we want to appreciate them today because they're in the middle of a lot of this. And the truth is, every day they're stepping into the middle, usually of maybe a war that's raging. And a few verses help to explain and kind of flesh that out. Romans 7.23, it says, I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner of the law of sin in the parts of my body. So that just shows you the struggle, the mind and the body, what you want to do and how those things are opposed to each other. Paul talked about that a lot, doing the things he did not want to do, but he does them anyway. I mean, that's the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Titus 3.9, Avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So what is it in your life that can lead you to worrying and fighting? What are your cravings? Maybe on their own they're good things. But are you trying to befriend those items, those things, that, that, that thought, that person? Are you taking them in more than God? Is it politics? Is it you can't absolutely talk to anyone else on the other side of the aisle without just rage and, and, and just going out of control? Is it drama against a former friend, maybe against an entire family? Maybe it's something that happened long down the road, but just the, just the bitterness continues. Is it in your job or career? Is, is it against a competitor in your job or career? A competitor that's kind of doing the same thing, but man, you have it out for him. James is writing to the new believers. Remember that, religious folks. It doesn't exempt them from this, from fighting. Um, I remember one time, so in, in seminary I had a job uh, working at a coffee shop. I worked there several years. didn't know anything when I went in there and got hired and, and learned how to do everything. But uh, I realized uh, police officers like their coffee too, just as much as everybody else. Amen. I love, yeah. Uh, I love, and we were glad to have them. They, they were regular customers, uh, several of them that were in the area in their patrol. They, they would come by, and we were glad to have their cars and come by. And, uh, and I remember one conversation. It was a slow evening, and uh, I worked evenings mostly and, and closed the store, so one would come in in the evening. And uh, he had his you know, bulletproof vest and stuff on, and, and there was somebody else working there. And we just wanted to know like each item, like what was on their belt, what, you know, what did everything do? 
And so they're just kind of going through everything. And I apologize, this isn't the technical name, but it was the police taser stun gun that, that we got to. And he, he just showed us, kind of talked about what that does, how that stops somebody. And, uh, you know, you only want to use it in a time that you really have to. And I said, um, obvious question, well, have you ever had to use it? He said, yeah, one time. One time someone was completely out of control, just attacking and, uh, you know, just going after everybody. I had to stop them and stop them like that. I said, wow. And he goes, that's not the worst part. <laughs> I said, oh. He said, it wasn't that I just had to use it. He said, I knew who that person was. I said, oh. He said, not only that, that person went to my church. <laughs> and I was just like, I think once my, uh, you know, jaw went back up uh, from my, I was like, what? And uh, he's like, really? He goes, we're okay today. It was just, he did go into all of it, but there were several circumstances that led to it. And uh, so y'all better behave for the rest of today. We have extra officers here, so... Um, but how does this happen? How do you get to that point? It's, I mean, it's every man for himself mentality. It's, uh, it's, it's turning your back and, and going down, following things usually that are replacements for God, idols that are replacements. Uh, a 17th century Jewish philosopher, and I, I don't, Spinoza, Spinoza, says, I have often wondered that persons who make boasts of professing the Christian religion namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, why they should quarrel with such rancorous animosity and displace daily towards one another such bitter hatred, that this, rather than the virtues which they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith. That's a Jewish philosopher looking in on, on Christians. And it can be a huge, I mean, just I'm, I'm sure it was for this philosopher, a huge hindrance and stumbling block to the gospel. And James knew that. James is saying the way you're acting, this is not only bad for, for you all, but for the advancement of the gospel. So will we show the world the virtues and the way of living James has constantly pointed us back to again and again? Or will we show the world something that is captivating? Something full of hope and truth? Point number two from uh, the second verse. Desires of the world are caused by dis disillusioned motives. It says, you desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And it could be our motives. This one kind of overcompasses everything. It could be going out with the wrong motive. I, I was trying to think of an example. I know, you know, from a novel or, or from a movie of just someone that had the wrong motives. And right away, just because I'm a fan of the series, uh, The Lord of the Rings stood out to me. And... Um, if you know that story or don't know that story, um, it's it's basically um, it, it's basically this ring of power has ultimate power, but it can ultimately destroy and corrupt the person who ever has it. And uh, and they find out the best case is to take this and destroy it. So there's a group, and there there's warriors, and there's you know just uh, just kind of mighty people that that go on this, all sorts of different personalities. Um, to go help the ring bearer, uh, Frodo, to go help him destroy it. And so that, that's the main mission, that's the main objective. Everyone's kind of in agreement of this, let's go. Uh, there's one in their group, and his name's Boromir. And uh, he knows the mission, he knows this is what he signed up for, he knows the goal is to ultimately, um, you know, to, to get and destroy this. And, um, 
And I don't think outright he had any intent to really cause harm, but he did have a secret motive behind it. And you find out throughout the story that his secret motive was to eventually talk to this ring bearer and try to get possession of it because he thought he could go back to his hometown. And, and they had really gone through some difficult times, but he thought he could use it for his people and for himself. Uh, so it comes down to a confrontation where he tries, you know, it looks like he's just persuading, but then it becomes, you know, he tries to get violent. And Frodo gets away. And really things for that whole group and the rest of the story, they kind of split apart into different factions. I won't get into everything that happened. We don't have time for that. But uh, it really started at that point. A misplaced, disillusioned motive about what was going to happen. And then there's a fallout. You know, we can have misplaced motives that go against God. It comes from a place of pride comes from our own values or self-righteousness. And then it can lead into a path that actually leads to conflict. It leads to regret. You know, that second verse, it says, You desire but do not have. You murder and covet but cannot obtain. Fight and war. It's saying all these things that it's led up to, is it really giving you what you wanted in the beginning? And we see that all the time. People going after false idols, and you just hear stories of, of people, you know, maybe they, they won the lottery, and it wasn't the best thing that ever happened to them like they thought it could be. You know, maybe they, maybe they got that dream job, and it wasn't exactly the thing, you know, it's fulfilling for a while. It's like that brand new Christmas gift. How do you feel about it two weeks later, a month later? A lot of times it's not so brand new, is it? Psalm 1841 talks about two different people. These are the enemies of God. And then when they got in trouble, they turned and tried to call out for God. This is what it says. They cried out for help, but there was no one to save them to the Lord. But he did not answer. So they were crying out to him, but they had not been following him. They just cried out in help. He did not answer. They weren't living for him. So they didn't receive a reply from him. And then in the opposite, the other side of the coin, 1 John 3, 22. Receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Now, this isn't some kind of using God as a genie. This isn't what that is. This isn't a prescription for that. This is saying the people that are following the will of God, that are asking things that would be in the will of God, are, are getting answers, are getting received. So it's not using God for your own means, but it's actually following God daily, following him uh, faithfully, that leads to that. In verse uh, verse three. Now, when uh, sorry, jumped over. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly, so that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. David Platt described prayer in this way as kind of um, using God as a heavenly ATM. Kind of what I was just talking about, tying it together. Using God as a heavenly ATM. And, and whenever you need something, you're just getting a withdrawal. You know, you're getting a withdrawal. And it's just for your own gain. It's just a, like a, almost a monetary withdrawal from God. And a, I think a good litmus test of where your prayer life is is to look at Scripture. Look at Scripture. See what's in the Psalms. See how David... Uh, prayed those mighty prayers that are all throughout Psalms. What are those about? What are those about? How did Jesus pray? When when he prayed daily, 
But a lot of those specific prayers we also see when he was up all night was big decisions, things going on in his life when he was fully dependent on God's will, even up to the cross. And I think one of the hard truths from this, looking at prayer specifically, is a question we have to face. Does sin, does going after the world, hinder my prayers? And I think when you look at the Bible, it's a definite yes. A definite yes. From Psalm 66, 18, I don't know if I have a slide for that one. If I had been aware of malice in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So, the malice in your heart can put a stumbling block up between the Lord hearing. Proverbs 28, 9. I think I do have a slide for this one. Yeah. Anyone who turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayers is detestable. If you're not following the commands of, of what the law, of what the Lord has for us, is God going to listen to that? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak. Listen to this. This is a good description of the Lord. The Lord's arm is not too weak to save, and his ear not too deaf to hear. He's fully capable. But your iniquities. Your iniquities are what separates you from your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you. I think that's a sobering reminder. It's not that the Lord's not willing, that the Lord doesn't hear, that He's not, he's not capable. But iniquities that have not gone through repentance, have not been confessed, those things are separating you from your God. John nine thirty one. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does His will, He listens to Him. Now, I know you might stop there. It says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. It's not, I mean, we're all sinners every single day. Um, so, what does that mean? God doesn't listen to us? Every, that's not what it's saying. But if you're, if the life you are living is not for the Lord, and it's totally sold out for the world, and you don't even care about your sin. You're not even God-fearing. You know, it says you have to be God-fearing, doing His will. So those things are off the table. If you're not doing any of that, there's a good chance He's not listening. We have to be God-fearing in His will. And I, I think those are just sobering realities to the, that ties back to what James is pointing out to these early believers. And I think that means we have to be careful in our prayers as well. Um, you know, there's ways to, uh, uh, just for example, uh, with my kids, I've, I've been a uh, coach on a basketball team and uh, right now assistant coach for a, uh, a baseball team. I was a coach for a t-ball team uh, for my kids. And, and just the way, and we lead the, the team in prayer, and, um, but I'm careful about how I pray with the team and, and what we show. I, I don't want to... Uh, you know, Lord, help us to victory and for us to, you know, smash this other team. I don't know if the Lord really hears. That's not really, you know, they could be praying that, you know, that's... Now, for us to fellowship with the other team, for us to, uh, to be safe, for us to, uh, uh, to look for you and, and for, uh, you know, to give thanks for, that we can do this, that it's a beautiful day, those are the types of things. And when you look at the Psalms, it gives you a good example Forty-one of the Psalms are centered on praise to God. Forty-one of them out of 150. Forty-one, so a third of the Psalms are just praise to God. Nothing about me at all. Just praise to God for who He is, what He's done. 
59 of them, so roughly another third, a third are lament. Confession. Lamenting for other people. Lamenting about the situation, what's going on. Uh, prayers of lament. 17 are psalms of hymns and 8 are psalms strictly of thanksgiving. How does our prayer life line up with that? Or do you kind of have those same divisions in your prayer life that, okay, do I have enough prayer of uh, praise to God? I know that's when I, that convicted me looking at that, that divided division of the psalms, that I need to have more praise to God in my prayers. Oswald Chambers said, We look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves. But the biblical purpose of prayer is that we may get to know God Himself. That's the connecting point. That's the relationship building with God. It's like talking to a friend. That's what... It's, it's not a means for ourselves, but a relationship with God. And then if we don't know what to pray, we don't have the words... Uh, John Bunyan said, In prayer it is better to have a heart without words rather than words without a heart. Thought that was a, I thought that was powerful. To have, let me say that again, In prayer is better to have a heart without words rather than words without a heart. That goes back to the teachings of Jesus. Not just having a bunch of words that, that you just want people to hear and that there's no heart behind it. God's looking at the heart in your prayers. Let's go to verse 4 and 5. So we're kind of getting down to the, the center of all of this. This is kind of the crux of these verses. Um, if you've ever been to a hockey match, there was a minor league hockey team where I grew up, and uh, when the gloves are coming off in the hockey match, the guys are not going out to shake hands and say, how are you doing? You know, and, uh, and this is kind of the moment where James, like the gloves are coming off. That's the type of warning he's given, kind of the reality check. It says this verse, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Wow. <laughs> I think that's the reality check. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty stern warning. I told you, you know, you're caught back up. I had to give the, the bad news of, of what. If you stand with friendship with the world, you cannot also stand with God. In friendship. It's hostility towards him. And this language, by the way, is not just used by James. It's used all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, the, prof, uh, the prophets often use this for Israel, for Judah, when they were stepping out, especially into idolatry, when they were worship, worshiping false idols. And they said, you are adulterous to your God. Uh, the book Hosea, all about that. God often likened uh, his relationship to the nation of Israel like a husband and wife. And when the people broke the covenant or they ignored his command or especially when they practiced idolatry, God accused them of adultery. Jeremiah 3.20 says, But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me. And I'm sure as bad as those moments are and, uh, you know, when, when those things happen in families, and, and I'm sure our police have to be on the scene of things going on that are either accused or, or it's caught in the middle, and, and it can be terrible. Well, an even worse spot is when you do that against your Creator. And that's kind of where all these verses are leading. Is, and James is writing it 
for the people because they are doing this. For us, it can be that warning. It can be those flashing blue lights I said that, that's in our rearview mirror. That's a warning to us. And I think, unfortunately, and what we see in the world today, kind of in the American church, we see more and more people of God, churches and denominations that are guilty of conforming more and more, a little bit closer every day to friendship with the world. And it might just be starting off with this one issue. And you say, well, you know, maybe, maybe we can think differently about that. You know, maybe we can. One thing I learned in Israel when we took our trip, we, we kind of tend to say, well, the people of the Bible, they weren't that sophisticated. They didn't have, what I was blown away was seeing how sophisticated they actually were and how much their society and things that they had that we just take for granted. And we think biblical time, 2,000 years, like they didn't have understanding. They, they were just barbaric on this thought. It's walking in the land of Israel when I went showed me how much I've, I kind of think often we think of ourselves superior. <laughs> and it's not like that. And anyways, when we look at the world, how is that working out? How is that working out with the world when we see division, when we see people going after each other in our culture? It's like one side or the other. How is that working out? And all the while, every statistic is showing more and more people are turning their backs against God. And it doesn't, I mean, is it any wonder some of the things we see? So, Christians, if we're tempted and drawn into this behavior, if we turn against God, James has a strong warning against what that does. God's not going to stand for it. It says, do you think it's without reason, verse uh, 5, that the Scripture says the Spirit He made to dwell in us envy, uh, envies intensely? God is a jealous God, and He has every right to be jealous the creator of us, the sustainer of the whole universe, Alpha, Omega, He knows all, He's all power. He has every right to be. So as we come to a close and thinking of these verses as a warning, remember David's, David's going to continue this when he comes back. <laughs> there is mercy, there is uh, uh, power over Satan and temptation. Those things are going to be talked about coming up. Thank goodness. Thank goodness it doesn't just end here for James. He just wrote that, boom, and closed the book. Thankfully, it's not. So the blue lights are flashing in the rearview mirror. David will come back and, uh, and share the other. Uh, this is another story I, I heard uh, while I was in seminary. This is from a, another off. It was from a deacon that knew this officer that was another deacon at a church. So this officer was kind of around our school area, um, one day, and uh, we had, you know, there's interstate highways all, all throughout Louisville, Kentucky, and um, this car was, was speeding, going a little bit over, and the police officer pulled over the, uh, this person, and noticed, so this officer was a deacon at his church, he knew the seminary, he knew people from the seminary, and he realized on the back of this car while he was walking up was a sticker, that was a parking sticker for the seminary. So, it's a student. <laughs> Comes up, the student's sitting there, all nervous, you know, hands gripped on the wheel. A stack of seminary books, I'm sure, that are right next to him. Um, you know, probably several dead giveaways of, of that he was just coming or going from school. And so the officer looked at his license registration. Now, remember, the officer's a faithful Christian, deacon in his church. 
Officer then asked if he knew the speed limit, knew how fast he was going, sort of those typical questions. But then the third one, he kind of threw a loop for the seminary student. He had one last question. He said, tell me, what is the definition of mercy? I'm sure if I had been caught in that moment, <laughs> just like, uh, like already nervous about the situation and then be put on the spot. What is the definition of mercy, the officer asked uh, the seminary student. Student gulped, took a big breath, was nervous. I said, uh, uh, yes, sir. Um, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. The officer said, that's right. Handed back his license and said, slow down. Have a good day. <laughs> there was mercy that day <laughs> that a ticket wasn't given. And I think the lesson was learned. And I think the lesson for us here today is kind of that same warning. We need to slow down. We've been running from God. And I'm sure we have all more than likely strayed into areas of pride. And maybe that's we need to look back at our prayer life. Maybe we need to look back at how we are handling relationships with others. And especially how we handle our relationship with the Lord. God notices. And God is a jealous God. But He's not here to wipe us out. He's not. His grace is greater than our sin. And we know that is also true. So this isn't the end of the chapter. There is grace there's power over Satan. There's being exalted in the name of Christ that we don't deserve that God gives us. And we'll talk more about that next week. So as we come to this moment of decision, do you know His grace? Have you made that decision for the Lord? Are, are you running towards the world, has befriended the world? And maybe you know a little bit about Jesus and what He's done. You don't realize Jesus loves you, died for you. He's a Savior for you, Lord and Savior. So here in a moment I'm going to pray and we'll have our instrumentalists come up and if you need to come down and talk about that or make a decision today, please do. Let's pray. Lord God, You are the sustainer of our lives, the sustainer of everything. And God, I know I get caught up in running towards the passions, the things of this world. Lord, redirect me re-guide us back to your path. Lord, help us. Maybe there's forgiveness over a certain issue, a certain sin, a certain person we need to go make right with. Lord, help us to make whatever step we need to. And Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, know the grace, the mercy that's extended through your son, Jesus, Lord. I pray that they make that decision today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.